Well, there was um, there's a story about two little boys, two brothers, uh, and one day they were doing what little boys often do. They were fighting. They were play fighting. But the fighting got very, very out of hand very quickly because the little brother, uh, who was a bit weaker, not as strong as his big brother, he decided that he needed to get the upper hand in the fight, and so he resorted to picking up a weapon. He picked up a stick, and he threw it at his brother's face. And, of course, the stick hit him square in the eye. And then tears ensued. Tears ensued. And there were a few more punches thrown. And eventually, their, their mom came in, and she intervened. And she said, boys, you need to stop fighting. Stop fighting. And another thing, you need to forgive each other. Because imagine what would happen if tonight one of you died, and you never got the chance to forgive each other. And so both of the boys looked a bit sheepish. And the big brother turned to his little brother and he said, okay, I forgive you tonight. But if we're both alive in the morning, you better watch out. (laughs) Now, forgiveness is really difficult, isn't it? Forgiveness is difficult. We can all struggle with this. In fact, we like the idea of forgiveness. We like the sound of it until actually we're the ones who need to forgive. And then, in fact, we like the sound of justice, don't we? We much prefer the idea that that person is going to get what's coming to them. As C.S. Lewis once said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. When you've been betrayed or mistreated because of the actions of somebody else, well, that's very difficult to forgive. And yet we know that at the heart of our faith as Christians that forgiveness is really, really important. And so when we read the Lord's Prayer, we read, uh, it says, Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And those words can simply trip off our tongue. Sometimes we don't even think about it. Other times we do mean it, but we can still harbor a grudge against someone. Because after all, we've endured so much pain and so much hurt that we feel, well, it, it doesn't seem right to just let that go, just, just forgive that person. You might even be struggling with that this morning. This might not be a theoretical problem for you. You might be struggling to forgive someone, perhaps in your family or a friend, maybe a, a co-worker, maybe even somebody in this room. Maybe there's someone who you're struggling to forgive because of the harm that they've done to you. And I think there are at least three responses that we can have whenever we've been wronged, whenever somebody has done some harm against us. The first response is revenge. We can say, well, that person has harmed me and they've wronged me, and so I want to hit them back even harder. I want to give them a taste of their own medicine and see how they like it. That's the first response. We hold on to the grudges because actually it's too painful to just let it go. And so we choose not to forgive. But then the second response is avoidance. You might say, well, look, I'm a a respectable Christian, and so I'm not going to seek to take my revenge against someone. But I'll just avoid them. I'll cut them out of my life because it's actually too hard to look at them or to be around them. But actually, that, that might seem like a better option. It seems better than revenge. But if we as Christians are called to love one another and do what is best for the other person, then that isn't really an option, is it? 
Because you can't, uh, you can't love someone if you're avoiding them. And so the third option then is true forgiveness. True forgiveness. To let go of the anger and the hurt and the bitterness that we experience whenever we've been wronged. Now you might be here this morning and you can say to me, well look, you don't know what I've been through. And you don't know the harm that has been caused to me. And there is serious damage, isn't there, and grievance that all of us have to bear at times. And so we need help to forgive, don't we? We need help to forgive. And we, that's exactly what we find in this little letter to Philemon that Paul writes. Now, if you're here last week, you'll know that we were reading through the first part of this letter and we, we see this guy, Philemon, he's a wealthy Christian from the, the city of Colossae. And he owns at least one slave, possibly more. But he has this one slave called Onesimus. He's a very bad slave. He's very unfaithful. Paul describes him at one point formally as useless. But not only that, he's such a bad slave that he one day decides to steal from Philemon. And he makes his getaway. He abandons Philemon and runs away. And somewhere along the way, we don't know where, but he bumps into Paul. And wonderfully, he's converted. He experiences this massive life transformation because he meets Jesus and he becomes a Christian. Of course, then, the problem is, for both Paul and Onesimus, is that Onesimus needs to go back to Philemon and make amends and say sorry. And so Paul writes this letter to Philemon really as a plea to him to to say, look, forgive and accept back Onesimus. And so the big theme at the heart of this whole letter is this theme of forgiveness. The question is, is Philemon going to forgive Onesimus? And so we could sum up this letter like this. This is the big idea. We need to graciously forgive others because God has graciously forgiven us through Jesus. And there are three things that I want us to see here in in our time here together. Firstly, that forgiveness requires grace. It requires grace. Secondly, forgiveness is costly. And then finally, forgiveness is the norm for us as Christians. It's not the exception to the rule, but it's actually the norm. So firstly, forgiveness requires grace. Now I want you to imagine the scene. Philemon one day hears a knock at his door. And he walks down through his his hallway and he gets to the door and he opens it up and there he sees it's him. It's Onesimus. After all this time, he's decided to come back. This criminal, actually, he's returned to the scene of the crime. And we don't know what Philemon would have been thinking, but perhaps he was thinking, what kind of a brass neck does this guy have coming back here? The betrayer, the criminal, The runaway slave. And yet before Philemon can say anything, Onesimus thrusts this scroll into his hand and says, please just read it. It's from Paul. Now we don't know exactly how it happened. But we do know that at some point Onesimus and Philemon met once again. Can you imagine how Onesimus must have felt? Because I'm sure that his anxiety levels must have been through the roof. 
he was probably thinking, well, is Philemon actually going to accept me back? I know Paul said that, look, trust in Philemon. He's a Christian. He's been saved by grace. He will welcome you back. But actually, what if he brings me in and beats me? Or he throws me into jail? Or even worse, what if he tries to have me executed for being a runaway? And so Philemon begins to read the scroll. And he would read in verse 17, Paul says this, Welcome him as you would welcome me. Now here's the difficulty of true forgiveness. If I was Philemon, I think I would be tempted to say, Paul, are you serious? You want me to treat this runaway slave in the same way that I would treat you? The great apostle Paul, revered, respected by everyone in the, in the early Christian community. You want me to treat this guy in Isthmus, a slave with no rights, in the same way as I would treat you. And what Philemon needs in order to forgive is grace. It is grace. And all the way through the Bible, this word grace is used. It really just means undeserved kindness. A sort of kindness that isn't merited, it's not deserved, it's not something that we work for. And it's probably worth pointing out actually what we mean by forgiveness as well. Because there are lots of different ideas about what forgiveness means. But I think that scripture talks about it in at least two senses. There are two aspects to forgiveness. There's the inward aspect and then the outward. And so the inward is the, the inward letting go of the bitterness that we have whenever somebody has wronged us. And so in Mark chapter 11, Jesus says, Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now you'll notice that that doesn't actually refer to someone who has repented necessarily. What Jesus is talking about here is whenever you are praying to your Father in heaven, if there's somebody who's wronged you in any way, you need to forgive them. You need to let go of the, the anger or the bitterness that you have if you want to have a true relationship with your Father in heaven, if you want your Father to forgive you. But then secondly, there is an outward aspect of forgiveness. When you, you actually say to the offender, I forgive you, and that's actually quite different. Because that kind of forgiveness is only actually possible if the person who has done you wrong confesses or repents of their sin. And so we might call that aspect forgiveness leading to repentance or leading to reconciliation. So for example, in 1 John chapter 1, John says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us. So there's a condition there. If we confess our sins, that's the only way that God in the end can actually forgive us if we truly repent. And so presumably, Anisimus is repentant because he's willing to go back to Philemon and make amends. Now Jesus tells a story in Luke's gospel, which is all about grace. It's all about grace. It's a story of a father who has two sons. You might know it quite well. And so the younger father comes to, uh, sorry, the younger son comes to his father one day, and he asks for his share of his inheritance. And so the father, being so gracious, he gives his share of the inheritance to his younger son. But then the younger son goes off and wastes all of his money in a faraway place 
wasted on wild living and prostitutes and so on. And one day, the, the younger son reaches absolute rock bottom. He's totally destitute. And he realizes, well, if I go back to my father's house, maybe he'll not accept me back as a son. But at least I could be a servant. And I could get regular meals there. So that's what I'll do. And so he goes back to his father's house. But whenever he reaches his father's house, his his dad comes out running to him and throws his arms around him, embracing him with love and with acceptance. It's an amazing picture of God's grace. And yet the older brother's reaction is really interesting. Because the older brother is very bitter. He's bitter. He says to his father in verse 29 of Luke 15, he says, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you, you, I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now I think we can give the older brother a bit of a hard time. We look at him and go, he's a bit bitter. He needs to lighten up and celebrate with his younger brother. But I can actually relate to the older brother. Because in a sense, it isn't fair. It isn't fair that the younger son gets this treatment. Because that's exactly what grace is. It is undeserved kindness. The father really was within his rights to say, look, you took my share of the inheritance. You went and wasted it. So don't expect a welcome from me. And yet he responds to him with grace and with love. And so Philemon in this situation could say to Paul, well, look, Paul, Onesimus doesn't deserve a warm welcome from me. I'm not just going to let all that go. And in a sense, he is right that he doesn't deserve a warm welcome or kindness. And yet that is why being a Christian and being a follower of Jesus is so radically different to any other belief system in the world. It's not to say that Christians have a monopoly on forgiveness, but actually as followers of Jesus, we are people here to be marked by grace and by love. Corrie ten Boom uh, was a woman who knew all about grace. She was a watchmaker in Holland in the 1940s. And of course at that time they were under Nazi occupation And she and her family were hiding a number of Jews in their home, but eventually they were found out. And she and her family were sent off to a concentration camp called Ravensbrück. Ravensbrück. And her sister Betsy would eventually die in that prison camp. But Corrie survived. And a couple of years after the war, she was preaching uh, around various different places. One of the places she preached in was uh, in Munich in Germany and she was preaching on the topic of forgiveness and after the meeting one of the guys who was in the meeting came up to her and she immediately recognized who it was it was a, a guard from a concentration camp in which she was in and he came up to her and said I was a guard at Ravensbrück but since then I've become a Christian And I know that God has forgiven me, but I want to hear it from you as well. Do you forgive me? And she said that she stood there, but she just couldn't forgive. She couldn't forgive. 
Because that guy represented to her all of her suffering and her pain. And not only that, but her sister's death as well. How on earth could she forgive this guy? And yet very quickly she realized that if she couldn't forgive this man, then how could she expect God to forgive her? And so she wrestled with the most difficult thing, she says, that she'd ever done. But eventually she reached out her hand and took his hand in hers and said, yes, brother, I forgive you with all my heart. And later on she would say, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Now, we're not in the same situation, most of us, almost all of us. We're not in the same situation as Corey Ten Boom or even Philemon. But all of us need God's grace to forgive. And we get a bit more of a clue as to how important grace is at the very end of Philemon. In verse 25, Paul says this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And that isn't just a nice way for Paul to, to sign off that letter. It's not like today whenever we're writing an email or a letter we might say kind regards or many thanks or whatever it might be. No, for Paul this actually has a lot of meaning. When he says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, that is actually a clue as to how Philemon is even able to forgive at all. Because he needs grace. Not just any kind of grace, specifically it's the grace of Jesus. That is what can soften hardened hearts. It is because Jesus is the one who left his throne with his Father in heaven. He became a human, took on the form of us. And not only that, but he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All of that he did for you and for me, so that we could be forgiven and we could have new life. And so God himself is the great forgiver. He's the one who's forgiven us through Jesus. And it is all of God's grace. So we need grace to forgive. But secondly then, forgiveness not only requires grace, but forgiveness is always costly. It always comes at a cost. And here we see that Paul's response is to bear that cost, the cost of what Onesimus has done. Uh, he says in verse 18, if he, that's Onesimus, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I will pay it back. Now that's pretty amazing for a couple of reasons. Firstly, Paul didn't owe anything to Onesimus whatsoever. He didn't really have any obligation to him. We know that Onesimus perhaps would have helped out Paul. And in fact, he, from this letter, we know that he did. But Paul could have said, look, Onesimus, I'm going to pray for you, and I wish you all the best. I'll even write this letter for you, but I'm not going to bail you out. I'm not going to pay for your costs. But no, he does. He goes one step further, and he generously offers to pay the debt that he himself doesn't owe. But it's also, remember, because uh, 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 Paul himself was in prison. He says in verse 13, he's in chains for the gospel. In verse 1 he says he's a prisoner of Christ. And so presumably Paul wasn't able to make much of an income at all in jail. He was a tent maker by trade. And so he's unable to make an income. 
Most likely he wasn't independently wealthy. We know that because he writes many other letters to other churches. Some of them he asks for financial support. And so here is Paul, not presumably wealthy, and yet he is the one who's saying, I'm going to pay the costs for Onesimus. And the truth is that whenever forgiveness is on the table, somebody somewhere has to pay the cost. Somebody has to pay the cost. Imagine one day that you're driving your car, you're driving down the Belmont Road, and somebody comes out in front of you, pulls out way too early, and they crash right into the front of your car. And thankfully, you're safe, you're not hurt, but the front end of your car is totally wrecked. And you get out of the car, you talk to the other driver, and you find out that the other driver isn't insured. And your own insurance plan also won't cover the cost. And so you have a bit of a tricky situation. What do you do? We have a few different options. One option is to say, well, look, the other driver, you're going to pay the cost for that, that car. That's probably what a lot of us would do. Or you could say, well, look, let's, let's share the cost. I'll pay a bit and you pay a bit. Or if you're feeling really generous, you could say, look, don't worry about it. I will, I'll pay the cost myself. But the reality is that whoever pays, somebody has to pay. That, that cost and that debt isn't just going to disappear into thin air. Somebody has to pay that cost. And so the only question is who? Is it going to be you? Or is it going to be the other driver? Well, in Philemon's case, Paul makes his choice. He decides to pay up for Onesimus. And actually, what Paul is doing here is just a really tiny picture of what God has done for us. What Jesus has done for us. And we see the ultimate demonstration of that at the cross. Whenever Jesus decided to take on the penalty for your sin and for my sin. And he clears our debts. And a good way to understand sin is to think about it as debt. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about sin uh, in this concept of, of debt. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew doesn't use the word debt at all. Sorry, he doesn't use the word sin, he uses the word debt. And so, in the prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, it's forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's a debt that we all owe to God, every single one of us. And none of us can ever pay that. Obviously, it's not a financial debt. It's a spiritual and a moral debt. Romans chapter 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And so the penalty for all of our sin, all of our offense against God, is that we need to, to pay this debt, but we can never pay it. And yet Jesus is the one who steps in and he clears all of our debts. That is amazing good news, isn't it? That is amazing news this morning that if you're here as a Christian, God has paid all of your debts and released you from that burden of sin and of guilt. Not because of anything that you've done or any quality that you have, but only because of what Jesus has done. And whilst there's huge comfort in this, there is also a big challenge. Think back to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel. It says, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And so we can't ignore the second part of this prayer. 
Paul certainly didn't. No, Paul was willing to pay the debt for somebody else, the debt that he himself didn't owe. And that required Paul to take on an actual financial cost. For some of us here today, you may be struggling to forgive somebody who owes you something. Perhaps it is financial, but actually more likely it's not. It's going to be emotional or physical. Some huge damage that somebody has done to you. And there is a sacrifice that needs to be made in order to take on the cost, to absorb the cost of that damage. And it isn't easy. It's why it's very easy to see why people resort to revenge or they resort to just avoiding somebody. Like it's much easier just to cut that person out of my life. And yet in the end, it is always worth it. It might seem easier to just take revenge, but in the end, it is worth it in two ways. Firstly, forgiveness is worth it for you. It is worth it for you. Because we know that bitterness is one of the the bad fruits, the bad results of unforgiveness. And so it's so vital to get rid of bitterness. Somebody once said that becoming bitter is like swallowing poison and expecting your enemies to die. It just doesn't work. The only person who it's going to hurt actually is you. Your, your enemy, the person who's done some damage to you, is, is away, probably not even thinking about what they've done sometimes. And so the bitterness that is controlling you is only going to damage you. What happens when we become bitter is actually we're deciding to take God's place as the righteous judge. God is the one who judges all people. And he knows that justice in the end will be done. There will be justice, or if that person repents, there is grace. And so we actually don't need to worry about the outcome. We don't need to worry about what's going to happen to that person. No, we just need to leave it to God to sort out. Because forgiving somebody, whilst it is very difficult at times, it actually results in in liberation and in freedom. Because it, it liberates us from this bondage to bitterness. And the message of the Bible time and time again for us as Christians is that there is suffering now and sacrifice now, but there will be glory later. So it is a sacrifice to forgive, but we know that in the end there will be reward and there will be glory. That's the model that we see in Jesus. He's the one who suffered the most infinite amount of pain, more pain than we could ever imagine, taking on the wrath of God. Suffering for us on the cross. And yet, look what happened. He was glorified. And now he is with his Father in heaven. And whenever we see Jesus face to face in the end, we'll realize that all of that letting go of bitterness and all of that forgiveness has actually been totally worth it. But secondly then, it's also worth it for the offender. It's not just worth it for you, but for the person who's wronged you. It brings amazing benefits to them. Paul says in verse 16, to see Onesimus now as no longer a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. So what Paul is saying is don't seek revenge and don't even just avoid this guy. In fact, Philemon, I don't even just want you to tolerate Onesimus. That's not enough. But I want you to welcome him as you would welcome me. 
In other words, you need to embrace him. You need to love him as a dear brother. And whenever we become a community of people who are forgiving one another, what happens then is we we turn from being enemies, perhaps that's too strong a word, but sometimes it's not. We go from being enemies to being friends. We go from being people who are outcasts to actually people who are loved as brothers and sisters. And of course we know that that's what God has done for us. That at one time every single one of us were slaves to sin. We were dead in our sin. And that God redeems us from that. And not only does he liberate us from slavery to sin. That would be amazing enough. But no, actually he brings us into his family. As sons and as daughters of the king. Thirdly then, forgiveness is the norm for Christians. It is the norm. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, what this letter is saying today is actually that it's not the exception to the rule. Whenever you are wronged, we need to forgive. In verse 21, Paul says this, Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Paul had this really bold expectancy, didn't he? Now you might say, well, why is Paul so confident? Why is he so confident? Is it because he's such a great theologian and pastor and he's really convinced of his ability to persuade Philemon? No, I don't think that's, that's what's going on at all. No, he's confident in the power of the gospel. He's confident in the, the life-transforming power of Jesus. Remember in verse 1 he says he's a prisoner of Christ. Paul is in prison here. He's given up his freedom and he's willing to put his life on the line for Jesus. And so for him this is very real. It's very, very real. And he knows that he shares this common faith with Philemon. He knows that it's not only him whose, whose life has been transformed by Jesus but also Philemon's as well. And so he's confident He's confident that Philemon will actually forgive Onesimus. And in this we see that that as a Christian, the norm is to forgive. It's the expected thing to do. If Paul was writing a letter to each one of us today, he might say the same thing. If you're here today struggling with forgiveness, he would say, look, I'm confident that you will forgive. And in fact, not just do that, but that you will do even more than I ask. Why? Why? Well, because it's the power of the gospel. We need grace to forgive. We, we can't really ever do it in our own strength, but whenever we have the resources that God gives us through Jesus, then we can. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells this story about two servants. And the first servant, he owes this massive debt to his uh, master, the king. It's 10,000 talents. So in today's money, that would be millions and millions of pounds. But the king brings him in and he says, look, all of your debt is totally clear, totally clear. And so the servant goes out and he's liberated from his debt. But then he finds another servant who owes him a much, much smaller debt, a tiny fraction of what he owed to his king. But he doesn't forgive him that debt and he has him thrown in jail until he can pay it back. And the king hears about this and he's appalled. And so he brings the servant in and he decides to go back on that decision. And he he throws this unmerciful 
servant into jail until he can pay back all that he owes. Now the message from Jesus here is really, really clear. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been forgiven this huge, huge debt. A massive debt that you can never, ever repay. Not a financial debt, but a spiritual and a moral debt. So how on earth can we then go out into our church or into our community or our workplace and then not forgive those who sinned against us? And what this story tells us is that actually as, as Christians, forgiveness is the norm. Whenever you look at the world outside, we can see that forgiveness is definitely not the expected thing to do. And if you want an example of this, you just need to look at Twitter to take one example. Uh, Liam Neeson, earlier on this year, made the mistake of confessing publicly to something that he did 40 years ago. In fact, not even something he did, something he thought about doing. And of course, what he did was wrong. And you can read about that story uh, later on. What he did was wrong, but he was confessing to essentially a sin. And yet the response that he got from many, many people was not forgiveness, but total condemnation. Total condemnation. He was pilloried. Many people said that he should never act again. Certainly he shouldn't be forgiven. And whenever we see that that as Christians, actually, our response is to be so different to the world. In a world where forgiveness is really scarce, in fact, whenever forgiveness happens, it often makes headline news. It's really, really scarce. And yet that can be an attractive thing whenever we forgive one another quickly. The watching world looks at us and says, why is it that they're able to forgive each other? There must be something else going on for them. It is grace. So how are we doing on this? Whenever you look at Philemon, um, we, we don't know the end of the story. We, we don't know whether Philemon actually did forgive Anisimus or not. But the big question isn't so much did Philemon forgive Anisimus, but actually the question for us today is this. Are we willing to forgive Are we willing to take the grievances and the bitterness that we have on occasion to God and actually give that up to him and say, God, I'm not the judge, you're the judge, and you will do what is right. And we understand that this will take time, that it's a process, it's not just a one-off thing. remember a friend telling me a few years ago that he was mistreated by, by people in his school and whenever, even as an adult, there were times whenever the pain of those memories came back to him and he needed to forgive again and again and again. It wasn't a one-off thing. But in the end, if we are not forgiving, then actually we're not following in Jesus' footsteps. We're not being faithful to God and we're not actually reflecting God's character. And no matter how good our theology might be, no matter how much we might serve in church or any other things we do, in the end, if we're holding on to bitterness in our hearts, then we're not following Jesus. Because forgiveness is never an optional extra for the Christian. The question for us today is, are we willing to forgive? That might be really, really difficult to do, but... For all of us, we, we need to remember, we don't just need to rest in our own strength. But actually, God's word shows us we can run to the cross. 
look to Jesus. See the forgiveness that God has given us. And through that, we then will be able to forgive. There's a hymn that sums it up really well. It says this. How can we hold a grudge? How can we fail to love once we have known what mercy is? Lord, help us forgive. Let's pray.